I suppose the children left here, and nobody knew where they went. They were just brought off on a ship, and nobody at home knew where they went. They just disappeared, and that was it. But now we find where they went to, but they're definitely our Irish people. They're our brothers and sisters. They may be black, they may be red, but they're Irish. My name is Thomas Lee. I'm an Irish offspring. My great-great-grandparents is from Ireland. They're Mullinwood. And they had an estate in called Virgin Islands. Like many others, I have been vaguely aware of some Irish connection with the Caribbean, although I never knew how it had come about. Well, my grandfather um, come from Ireland. Um, that's how we all get the island from. So I don't know much, but the old man who used to tell us about my dad, you understand? They go way back. Iron Allen Rothschild. My grandfather was from Ireland. Ryan, he's a Ryan. Ryan, I'm Irishman. Long way back, long way back, long way back. My great, my grandfather, great grandfather, my grandfather is Irish. So, so you're a Sweeney. I'm a Sweeney. Yeah. I'm really Ryan. <laughs> The island of Montserrat is 27 miles long and seven miles across. More than one third of that space is an exclusion zone due to recent volcanic activity. It's a British overseas territory. They fly the Union Jack and they insist on stamping your passport with a shamrock. Uh, yes, I'm Irish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, 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 they have a different colour people. But they, since I came down here and get in the sun, I got black. But I'm white. Ask anybody. <laughs> I'm Irish. Oh, no. I am from the Emerald Isle of the West. The island map is dotted with Irish place names. The population runs to 4,800. Many of these carry Irish surnames, and yet their heritage is clearly African. So how have these contradictions come about? My blue eyes, that give me away all the time. And people look at me and say, oh, look at that, he has blue eyes. I said, because I'm Irish, you know? And the first thing they ask you is, what part of Africa are you from? Because I'm colored, they assumed that I had to be coming from Africa. They never heard of an Irish colony. I said, no, no, I'm from an Irish colony in the Caribbean. They couldn't believe me. I said, yeah, you do have an Irish, you were, we were colonized by the Irish in 1632, right? By the Irish in, in the Caribbean. I got to learn more about Montserrat from a friend, the historian and stamp collector, Philly Lynch. On a spring morning at his farm outside Callan in County Kilkenny, I asked Philly to dust off his collection. And then there's the first postage, and there's the first flights into fines, and, 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 and there's the covers, there's the first letters sent on him. And there's the old one, and there's the arms of Montserrat. There. And that is Era in her green shift, slave shift, and her bare feet, and her arms around a big black cross that's over her, and her arms around it, and her heart left to one side. In other words, she's mourning the loss of her children. And that's the arms of my, and that speaks in greater, I suppose, impact than anything else. And that comes from where it happened. And that's better. And there's a piece from Humphrey O'Sullivan's diary 
who never knew anything about it until they spoke uh, to a sea captain who had landed in Montserrat and he said that the blacks spoke Gaelic to him. And the beginning of the last uh, of the 1900s, they spoke Irish in Montserrat and they spoke Irish in Barbados as well. But now it's gone now. The tea. We're enjoying ourselves. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. By the time I had the tea drunk, Philly had me primed to learn more. He challenged me to go to Montserrat if I didn't believe him and see for myself the evidence of Irish slavery. I quickly discovered that Ireland's association with Montserrat is a complex one. It appears we had an influence on the island since the mid-1600s when the profits from tobacco and sugar attracted adventurers to its shores. I learned that many researchers other than myself had been stirred by similar curiosity. And one of these is none other than our own president, Michael D. Higgins. He has written extensively about the island. In the, in the history of Montserrat, there are different periods in which there are different Irish influences. There is not a single influence. There are several different sources of the Irish in Montserrat. So, Let's think then you have adventurers who went in the tobacco period. You have others who they stay on. You have others then who are deported by the crumb, the fall of Limerick, the fall of Drogheda. You have Colonel Stoppers, for example, giving permission to send 50 women from Galway who were uh, regarded as vagrants or loitering or whatever, just rounded up. And then you get people who, I think, in the state papers, who had crafts, who may have gone, um, because on the promise, as I said, uh, uh, who are above the level of indentured uh, servants are at the higher end of that. And, th and, and thus it goes on. So to say, think in terms of a single Irish connection uh, would be a very, very great mistake. When we were in school, we were told about Cromwell and his assault on Callan and what he did and the slaughter in, 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 in Drogheda and, and the slaughter in Wexford and what he did in that line. And uh, we thought it was terrible, the kind of a, a man. And even my father used to always have a thing, the curse of Mal Crummel on you, he'd say to you, you know, <laughs> if some lad done anything wrong on him, it came down in history, uh, the, the ferocious... Uh, tyrant uh, and conqueror that Cromwell was and it was there to be read uh, uh, you know over the time it was never said to us about all the children and uh, that he brought away and and then I began to delve more into it and reading McGeegan's history and somebody else's history around they stated about the children that there was uh, uh, a certain number of children, and there was various figures given. If you read English history or generally, they talk about a hundred thousand, and then it became a hundred and fifty thousand, and then Renaccini's account of it stated two hundred and fifty thousand children from the age of eight to sixteen were taken to slavery in the West Indies, but. It appears that the Irish were nearly the first slaves, nearly before the African. Now, there may be a certain amount of Africans there, I don't know. But they had a preference for the Irish slaves, particularly the planters, because they wanted the girls. They, were, they used to use the mulattoes 
for the bedwomen. But they hadn't a liking for them, but they preferred the Irish women for the bedwomen, and this is what they wanted. And when the girls were brought over, they were sold uh, off the ship on the dock. They were all washed down before that and kind of cleaned up, and then they were offered for sale. And they had there, they had, uh, you call them a gynecologist now, but a, a midwife there to examine the girls, and they paid more for the... Uh, for the virgins. The virgins made more money, whereas the ordinary girls made a fiver. These made eight and maybe ten, ten uh, pounds extra for the virgins. They paid more for them. And they were sold on the... On the which was horrendous, really, at the time. But this is what happened to them. And uh, they, were, they were abused by the mulattoes, so the, the half-breeds there... Uh, because they were generally the overseers, and when they were at work, they were abused everywhere. And there's a lot of that now contained in a new book that came out a number of years ago uh, by Sean O'Callaghan, To Hell or Barbados. And that opened up an awful lot of knowledge to me in that line. I read the late Sean O'Callaghan's book, and as expected, I was horrified by its graphic account of Caribbean slavery. This is Kew Gardens. This is a district line train to Richmond. To verify some of the claims, I went to the records office in Kew, London, to inspect state papers for the Cromwellian period. Perhaps here might lurk some evidence of Philly's transported slave children. And here it is. It's amongst documents labelled as Thurlow State Papers. And it's dated the 11th of September, 1655. A letter to Oliver Cromwell's son. He seems to be head of the army and camped at Kilkenny. The request comes from the Lord Protector, Cromwell himself. He's asking for a supply of young girls for the West Indies and writes to his son, Concerning the young women, although we must use force in taking them up, it will be of great advantage to have such number of them as you shall think fit to make use upon this account. And here again on the 18th of September he writes, I have little to add since I wrote last. I shall not need to repeat anything about the girls. If you should think it fit to send 1,500 or 2,000 young boys of 12 or 14 years of age to the place aforementioned, who knows, but it may be a means to make them Christians. And that was it. Philly might be right. I had to visit Montserrat. However, getting to the small Caribbean island is no easy task. Its international airport was consumed by lava flow in 1995, and since then, nothing larger than a six-seater aircraft can land there. Still, it's a chance to get a shamrock stamped on my passport. Landing on Montserrat is an assault on the senses. Tropical heat, blindingly blue skies, 
and emerald forests that reach up to a smoking volcano. If I wanted to learn about the island, I was told to speak with Montserrat's poet and historian, the wonderfully titled Professor Sir Howard Fergus. He explained how the Irish presence became so dominant on Montserrat and how they first arrived as indentured servants. It seems indentured servants got the chance to purchase land, but a slave, well, a slave was a slave for life, just property. Yeah, well, in fact, there was a major difference between an indentured servant and a slave. An indentured servant was not really owned by a master or any superior authority. And uh, the indentured servant was indented, as you like, was engaged to work for a number of years, five, ten, and would be free thereafter and uh, in compensation for work would perhaps get a piece of land. While some of them couldn't get monies to borrow because of their Roman Catholic uh, affiliation, uh, to, to start businesses, uh, many of them were able to, to have slaves themselves. That's the other thing. The former indentured servants in Montserrat kept slaves. A chap may have only maybe one or two slaves, but he kept slaves. So that was really uh, no real comparison between the legal status and even the conditions in, in which they lived. After all, many of them became planters, themselves and farmers themselves. And Montserrat was not really a colony of Ireland in that even though the, the colony consisted largely of Irish people, as far as whites were concerned, it was an Anglo-Saxon, it was an English administration. It was a colony peopled by Irish, but managed by, by, by the English. And even when Irish persons were in authority, um, had the reins of power. They were carefully selected and really operated in the English mode. And, and many of them were, 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 had an English Protestant background. And there was, in fact, something of a dynasty where one, uh, where one ruler, his son, would succeed him and so on. The first governor of Montserrat was a Wexford man called Anthony Brisket. And on his death in 1646, power was handed on to another Irishman, Roger Osborne. I'm beginning to realise this is a very small island. Its population is just marginally greater than Philly's beloved Callan. And it was not long before I stumbled upon a direct descendant of this early ruling dynasty. I'm Cedric Osborne. We are in Montserrat. In, in the Woodlands area. And you've got Irish connections. Yeah, we have Irish connections. As a matter of fact, one of our first governors was a Governor Osborne. But um, we do have Irish connections. Yeah. I think Governor Osborne was um, quite famous or infamous in his own way. <laughs> infamous. <laughs> yeah, he didn't do too well. He wasn't very popular, right. I think he was recalled quite quickly. Right. Yeah, he was spirited, yeah. I think. I think so, yes, 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 yes. Very Irish. <laughs> At that time, he probably was Irish, right. St. Patrick's Day carries special significance on the island. On that day in 1768, the slaves planned an uprising, believing the plantation owners and governors would be celebrating 
and perhaps even drunk. The failed rebel leader was an African slave called Cujo. We're probably the only island that has a holiday on St. Patrick's Day. Right. And we, but we here celebrate it, but we do have a, a public holiday on St. Patrick's Day here. So, the, so we do use the Irish connection. From what I've been reading, um, the word um, celebration, commemoration, uh, because it, it isn't quite a celebration of St. Patrick. Yes. No. no it, it's something else, isn't it? <laughs> well, they, they, they say this is um, Freedom Day, right, they call it, because it was when the slaves made an attempt to get away, to, to be freed, and it failed because one of the slaves um, squealed on them, and the, and the masters heard about it, and quite a few of them were hanged because they tried to, to have a, a mutiny. Uh, and then, and then, with their slave masters, because of that St. Patrick's Day, so we, this we know we use it as a Heroes Day. They call it Heroes Day, Freedom Day, because this is when we made an attempt to get free as free from slavery. The island's one main road is rutted in sections, and strangely, it makes me feel at home. I realize it's like driving up to Philly's farm. My new friend, Thomas Lee, is at the wheel. So we are riding soldier gun now, driving where we are here. Tell me, why does everybody honk the horn? Because we are friends, we all know each other. We are friends and family. So how could you pass? Tell me about the tree we just went past. Well, and that's something else. I don't like to talk about that so much because Koja was a slave and he didn't like, like his master and he, he planned with others to take him out but some one of them let the secret out and um, then they cut Kojo head off and hung it on that tree. So this area is called Kojo head. We are in Kojo head right where we're driving now. We are in Kojo head. So Kojo wasn't lucky, he lost his head. So we know about a lot of things. Some get whipping, but we don't want to go back down that road because these things happening, still happening around the world. So. We do not want to go too much on the, the hard side. But we want to know, let the Irish people know, that they're welcome to Montserrat. In numbers or not numbers, they will welcome here. OK, so in, in spite of anything that they may have done in the past uh, as slave owners, it's all forgiven? L yes, yes. Because God forgive all of us. He sent his son to... to, to let us know that he don't forget us. It seems there's a dark past lurking in the forgiving memory of the islanders. I have a feeling this information may make Philly a tad uneasy. As a nation, perhaps we are more comfortable with the idea of being enslaved rather than slave owners. Sir Howard addresses the issues of Irish slave ownership. Were we more benign than others? That question always um, comes up. I'm not sure they were, but uh, there's no I have no evidence that they were. And there's something about slave society. A, a slave plantation was almost um, like a place under siege. Um, the, the, there was violence was endemic because uh, people wanted to, to be free. And, and um, whites wanted to be protected. And therefore, the laws were as harsh, the slave laws in Montserrat were as harsh 
as anywhere else, even harsher, um, you know, if, if, if you ask me. But no, to that, to that essential question, there's no evidence. Because slavery is slavery. Um, there, there's, slavery thrives on coercion because um, sugar was intensive, labor intensive. Um, there's where the whites began to be hopelessly outnumbered by, by blacks because of, of the felt imperative um, to use cheap labor. For one thing, um, life was cheap, so that, that um, it, it was easy for, um, for, for the plantocracy to, to give death sentences um, if somebody hits a white man or whatever in any form of, of violence could result in death because life was cheap. So even from that point of view, um, life was short and, um, and brutish. Um, many many of the of, of the slave women preferred to commit abortions um, rather than um, generate more more slave hands. Resistance could be physical. Um, it could be burning canes, burning plantations, and um, committing abortion to 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 cut to cut down on on the number of, of slave hands. That's one way of getting back at the plantocrats. Chedman Brown, a former member of the island's parliament and a political activist, knows what was involved in plantation slavery. We didn't have names, okay? This is the thing that uh, people don't understand. Slaves here were slaves. You were not humans. You were, you were property. So we had no names. We, we had, they had already taken our names from us. We had no connections to where we came from in Africa. We had no African root names. We were labeled with names, just like, you, just like you, you name your dog or your cat, okay? Job or Jesse or Tom or Peter or whatever, whatever. But you had only a single name, okay? You had a name. And that was allocated to you by a by, by the slave master, whoever owned you, okay? You couldn't choose your name. And if, 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 you're, if a child happened to be born on the plantation, the mother couldn't choose the name. So the mother couldn't put a historical reality to the child. Okay, that child had to be, and there were few, very few children also, which people don't realize. The, um, the, the generation of population for children in this, in this country started after emancipation because the objective of bringing a slave here was to labor. You, you were a machine, and when you were no longer capable of laboring, they carried you out there and they drowned you. That's the reality, okay? The, the life expectancy of a slave in all of these plantations around here was seven years. We were replaced. People don't understand it was a trade. And we were a replaceable element of that trade. So you didn't invest in me to keep me from life to death. You invested in me to keep me so long as I had the physical strength to labor for you from sunup to sundown. Okay? You didn't invest in me to give me medical health and health care and all of that other good stuff. Okay? You invested in me so that I could wake up at sunup and walk all day until sundown, eat a piece of breadfruit or whatever it is you gave me for food, lie down for a few hours and get up the next day. And that was it. You walked me from sunup to sundown till death. Then you replaced me. When I was no longer physically strong enough to continue that type of labor, you were replaced because they're both plying these waters 24-7, full of strong, healthy, strapping replacements. This is a, a reality 
that cannot be taught, it cannot be conceived. It is impossible to conceptualize it, okay? And it is not, it would not be something that you would want to tell children in a classroom. The thought of reproduction in any huge numbers during that period didn't happen. America bred slaves. Caribbean didn't breed slaves. The Caribbean replaced slaves. Sugar became the new addiction in Europe. With sufficient labor and the right growing conditions, fortunes could be made. The Irish were on Montserrat, they had the land, all they needed now were slaves. The punishments that are written down at that particular time are horrific in relation to uh, uh, today. It would, uh, it, it would probably frighten uh, people to even, uh, to, uh, to even read about of the, these. Um, but may I quote, for stealing stock, cattle equipment to the value of 12 pence current money, a slave shall suffer a severe whipping and have both ears cut off for the first time, but for the second offence shall in like nature suffer death in the form aforesaid. And then, in 1754, a Negro boy, tomboy, entered a house and taking bread, the fact having been partly proved was ordered to be whipped and both his ears cut off. In 1785, two slaves, Tom Kirwan and Hannah Woods, the property of Nicholas Hill, were convicted of stealing sundry pieces of wearing apparel worth 10 shillings. Tom was sentenced to transportation, while Hannah received 39 lashes in the pillory. So I think that in all of this, when we're thinking about history and this, it is very important to understand the total uh, cruelty of the imp impulse to empire and domination and displacement, if we are to understand it. Um, the other side of it as well was that, that these estates didn't stay intergenerationally very long in, the, in, in, in some of these names. Uh, they, they're sold on, and that's how we know uh, uh, that they were in fact regarding uh, slaves as property because it's in the bills of sale from one period to another. At Broderick's is the one. In 1766, Broderick's plantation was sold to Michael White. He realised £12,000 for 200 acres of cane land. At £60, 700 for a stone windmill, £28 for each of 23 males, £240 for 11 head of cattle, and eleven thousand and eighty pounds for two hundred twenty-four Negroes at forty-five pounds sterling, and a good cook would realise a hundred and twenty pounds. The men range from one hundred twenty to forty, and uh, then the women less. Bridget sold for fifty-five pounds. Clarissa for sixty pounds. When slavery was finally abolished in eighteen thirty-three it brought about a collapse in the labour-intensive sugar plantations of Montserrat. When the Irish departed, they left their names and their genetics behind. The evidence is often seen in varying degrees of skin tone, straight hair and blue eyes. After emancipation, when the British destroyed the, um, the, the, the plantation system, the vast majority of the Irish people here sold out their estates or their little pieces of land, and they all migrated. They didn't go back to Ireland, they didn't go back to Europe. They all went to America. Those of us that have, because I do have Irish blood, by the way, okay? Those of us 
that were left with Irish blood that had the possibility or the ability to use skin pigmentation as an upwardly mobile movement within the society, we also migrated. First opportunity I got because we were affluent enough to leave. So there it is. The Irish were planters, slave owners, and slave traders on the island of Montserrat. Montserrat is a hilly place. So the water keeps going down the, the valleys. So as they do that, the water surge into the valleys, they call them guts. It's not a creek, it's not a river. They just run as the rain falls. The rain gone, they stop. In addition to the horrors thrust upon them by history, it seems they are also at the mercy of cruel natural forces. Until recent years, tourism was the island's main economy. Well, the, the volcano was always there. That is in the southern part of the island. The water was always boiling there. There's always a little pool of water boiling. You see sulfur deposits on the rocks. You smell the sulfur. As a matter of fact, when we used to take tourists to the volcano, we used to take eggs. And they like the idea of putting them in a handkerchief and boiling the egg in the hot water, right? So they could have a boiled egg right there. That's the type of thing we had. And we were told that, you know, if um, the volcano kept giving off steam, it would never develop enough pressure to explode and damage, and damage the island. Montserrat's economy has never recovered since the volcanic eruption. The population is currently at an unsustainable level and without financial support from the UK could not survive. The islanders hold British passports. The population before the eruption was 11,000. Most of them opted to repatriate to the UK. And I went there while the volcano was still active and while the ash covered two-thirds of the island. And the population has maybe now moved from a dispersed 11,000 throughout the island to between three or 4,000 and one corner and so on. I've met the islanders in Ireland, and I've met the islanders who went were, transpo were transported out. I've met them in England. There are three or four thousand, I think, who are going to hold on to the end, and they're right, it is a very beautiful island. I think that there was an extraordinary, eerie atmosphere when one looks at uh, a touch of the Marie Celeste about it, the manner in which houses are abandoned, where Pots around cookers and shelves are with books, still have books and so forth, when the ash descended and so forth. I have to say as well, too, you know, about these early Irish who might have arrived in the 17th century. You don't find them, you see, we don't have records. You don't find a great concern for the Arawaks or for the Caribs or so forth. I think one thing that is very important is, is that it is an island with which the Irish have had an inescapable connection. Um, they have a sense of their Irishness. I'm inclined to see it now like as if it were a mosaic in a way. They are African. There is an Irish element in the tapestry that is Montserrat identity. Irish, African. Sometimes you must make a choice, particularly on St. Patrick's Day. Will you wear the shamrock? Sir Howard reads a poem from his recent collection. It's entitled Legacy Two. All Montserrat was washed up in green on St. Patrick's Day. Not to hail the gleaming golden dawning, but to celebrate the color of its colonizers, 
all Montserrat, save for a few odd fellows, party poopers stuck in the blues, who would exchange a thoroughfare of pounds and dollars for a penniless orthodoxy, and correct history without currency, making their rightness wrong on St. Patrick's Day. My shirt, vermilion, stood out for victory and the blood of martyrs, and I waved a brave poinsettia on St. Patrick's Day. I tend not to wear green. Yeah, you know, no offense, but I always insist that I am not Irish. <laughs> yes, I'm not. One, one final question. My quest, if you want to call it that, started back in, in Kilkenny in, in uh, Ireland, and I met um, a farmer and amateur historian, and also a stamp collector. Mm. He showed me a Montserrat stamp, and then he showed me that emblem of Montserrat, of the, uh, the red-haired white yeah. girl with her hand around the cross. Where did that come from? Well, uh, it, it's part of the Irish connection. And people who, are, who want to exploit the connection for, for, for um, tourism purposes would want to, want to keep that. And there is a connection there. Eh? Historically, you can't wipe out history. There is an Irish connection. It appears the maid of Erin with her harp is more a tourist image than Mother Ireland mourning her lost children. I know Philly won't be pleased. Back in Callan, I tell him what I found. Oh, oh you have your tea and all the rest of it. So, the last time I, I was with you, you were telling me about the stamp, the maid of Erin stamp, about this girl. Yeah, it was an era, and that is the arms of Montserrat, and that is from the other side, those people telling their story. But here's an interesting thing. When I went to Montserrat, when tobacco was the crop, mm -hmm. indentured servants were attracted to Montserrat itself. So they wound up That's with right. small tracts of land that they can still produce uh, tobacco, mm. and they can make a living out of it. Mm. But then sugar came in. And sugar was a different matter entirely. They needed bigger plantations for sugar. With sugar comes in the slaves. Who owns the plantations? The Irish own the plantations. The Irish are the slave owners. The Irish are the people who set the laws of the island. Mm. The, island the Irish are the ones that mete out the punishment. Yeah. The, the Irish are the ones that actually yeah. are under siege. Yes. Because there are so few whites, and as yes, you said, that's right. there's yeah. the, the population is, is completely overwhelmed by yeah. African slaves. Yeah. And so they're continuously with this paranoia of rebellion floating around the background to yeah. them. And what they do is they inflict you know, that terror is the only way that they can actually control the plantations God, and control yeah, the blacks. Time, yeah. But now today, yeah. we've got all these Montserration people with Irish names, yeah. but they're their genetics are African. Yeah, that's right. And they have got their Irish names from their plantation owners. Yeah. They're not Irish slaves. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm. I think Philly is unconvinced. After all, history is a slippery thing. What connection you got with the Irish? I said, well, the Irish was 
on Montserrat. They came here in the early, they're the one who built Montserrat. They build the roads, the sugar mills, and they make kids, for sure, to let you know that's the trademark. They leave that behind. The trademark, they have kids. So we know all about them. And the, the, the name. Perhaps it's time to learn from our Caribbean cousins. And above all else, be happy. On Montserrat, we say, no matter what you do, you do it for fun. No matter what you do, you drink, you drink for fun. You laugh, you laugh for fun. What else could you do? We don't have to do anything else. We just drink and laugh and laugh and drink. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs>